The Significance of Democratic Participation Written and read by Maya Sonet Lemkes As episode number 9, A Spacesuit Made of Flesh On January 13th, 2024 Radio on Demand of the Institute of Universal Human Rights, Hawaii For today's topic of democratic participation, an old saying comes to mind, recorded somewhere in the universe. Those who live together, eat together, and those who work together, sing together. I chose this very popular hula song over the rainbow to introduce my show today, followed by Polynesian rhythms, because hula are cultural community events where most local civic involvement takes place. Just as music is a natural expression of every culture, the same way the characteristic of their community participation, leadership style, sense of democracy will be different. Yet, remarkably, just as beautiful in every culture. Just as every voice has a harmonious part to sing, every instrument knows when to join into the play and each dancer naturally moves in harmony So is a healthy community, a healthy democratic participation in public life. Not effortless is performing arts, and it is live, so won't be flawless. But it exudes love and beauty into the life of those participating or witnessing. 
When will our shared lives on local and international level be as harmonious as our artistic expressions? The local civic participation in Hawaii, where I live, is controversial, with varying intensity from decade to decade. The Big Island sovereign movement never ceased, but slows down from time to time, every so subtly and powerfully still present. The anthem of Hawaii, an almost all-national song, are rather unwelcoming to the foreigners even today, promoting loyalty to the chief who protects his people with spears. We'll not enter this topic any further today than describing the local Hawaiian attitude for community participation. There is much to observe here. Local Hawaiians have distinctly different social norms from island to island that can still be very strongly felt when isolation is significantly less now than was in historical times. The most generous care for the broken, destitute, hungry, is shown daily by the locals. They care visible, they take visible pride in giving generously food, smile, entertainment, sharing their culture with foreigners and locals equally. Nonetheless, when it comes to the affluent, wealthy, capable foreigners, should watch their back. Nature provides just enough for the dwellers of the land, so surplus cannot be trusted. Hawaii is not only an expensive luxury tourist state for the visitor, but just as expensive for the locals who do not have equal resources than tourists. Even if the business thrives, envy remains. So how do they engage in civic activities? Decades-old resentment still fuels a supple but powerful resistance called sovereignty movement, passing down traditional culture to the new generations and fostering the solidarity of the olden ones, while totally disregarding safety and affluence the foreigners bring to the land. The American states with the highest levels of social capital are precisely the states most characterized by economic and civic equality, can be read in Putnam's Bowling Alone, published year 2000. Can social capital increase economic and civic equality in Hawaii today? What is the reason for the local discrepancies in equality and the still remaining resistance? According to Putnam's theory, civic inequality increases when civic engagement decreases. 
but his civic engagement in the democratic process increases. The social capital of the community increases precisely in the same communities. The more citizens involve themselves as part of the democratic process, the more networking and social engagement in public affairs creates value, both for their individual lives and the society at large. Please read more about this fascinating study on the American government and involved democracy in the link you can find in my show notes. My volunteer project is to create a non-profit charitable organization for applied universal human rights. To engage in human rights, you first need to know what those are. Therefore, education to the individual about the basic respects society promises to provide for their lives is essentially the first step. My choice of media for education besides the traditional methods of classroom teaching is podcast shows. I have been podcasting for nearly a decade on various topics, always with much substance, and observed that my job to recruit interview partners has never been easier. Once the topic of human rights, public affairs, civic engagement, participatory democracy, unalienable rights, or what it means to live in a good society is opened for a conversation topic, people want to talk, want to be heard, have an opinion, and more likely to give permission to broadcasting too. Any level of discretion is controlled by them and can be encouraged by editing when it comes to podcasts. My list of interview guests is growing way faster than my calendar can accommodate. Education for human rights is the first step, though. To apply the knowledge would be the second step if individuals can be passionate about their involvement. Passion is incredibly important, but without it, there is no action or very poor quality. This field is applicable to any realm of our society, even by engaging in the most basic dead-end jobs, because respect for the individual will be essential whether people, wherever people are. But how do you know what you are passionate about? During these classes or listening to a podcast episode, the goal is relatability to the listener's experience and provoking emotions. These emotions can be observed by others and bring insight into the inner experience of individuals. This insight is maybe the revelation of victimization or recognition of a predator. But such encounters can also reveal 
if everyone's interest is heightened over a perceived interest is, and that is an information I can work with as a coach. I can even more directly provoke such revelations for self-discovery by asking a very simple question: What pisses you off? Almost without delay, most people know exactly how to answer that question. I use that answer as a lead to help them realize the hidden treasure in that answer. So now you know what you are passionate about changing. What turns you on as a problem solver? If it pisses you off, find a solution that problem and share it with others. Getting involved in others' life in a positive manner, finding solution to their painful and unresolved experiences of life is community engagement. And the more engagement in community, the more social capital you accumulate, followed by more influence on others, and before you know it, more personal investment in civic matters. Democracy created the platform, the field, but only if it is ploughed by its citizens will it yield a harvest. Democracy is not only about one day voting every four years, but a working democracy is an everyday project. A community project all members are creators of, just us, in music, dance, community hula. I created my civic engagement project for Applied Universal Human Rights because suffering caused by a lack of respect for the individual pisses me off. There are very few concepts in this world that are viewed as diverse as the word respect. The most time I need to invest in when I teach is defining and redefining this word and all of its aspects possible before we begin with a discussion of rights. Respect is a form of admiration for another person, an acknowledgement of their dignity regardless of the circumstances. If anyone asked how I became an expert on this subject, the answer is personal, simple, and impactful. I kept an open eye silently and never lost my sense of dignity while my rights were violated repeatedly. I may have protested, defended myself, and lacked articulation, but never forgot what I deserve. But I only could do so because I knew what I deserved. Many children 
vulnerable victims of any age have no idea what they deserve. They forget it while being absor- uh, abused or never, ever knew because they were never respected. Those who violate our human rights challenge our very humanity. It was said in a speech in 2016 but at the United Nations Conference by Ban Ki-moon. One is always the most effective about engaging with the community what they are the most passionate about. Hence, the most vital problems will always have plenty of volunteers eager to step up, at least here in the United States of America. And that is the true mark of freedom and democracy of a people. Because they don't wait for Papa Russia to show up to solve all their problems. Because in Russia, the most urgent problems produce the most cowardly silence. Whenever it comes to elections and demonstrations, passionate volunteers show up to express their opinions on the highway, and we can easily guess with certainty what exactly pisses them off here in America. The empirical evidence on recent trends is unambiguous. Community and equality are mutually reinforcing, not mutually incompatible. Written in year 2000 by Robert D. Putnam and also in Rise and Sandberg in 1997. In places like Russia, China, but to some extent also in Hungary, people feel ineffective, discouraged, and intimidated at the least, sometimes even fearful or terrorized to step out of their comfort zone and offer any form of service to their society. Those cultures are maybe constitutionally a republic, but even dictators can be elected democratically. If citizens are afraid to exercise their democratic rights, those rights will have no power to influence. Your maze can only save your life if you carry it around in your pocket. Keeping it well hidden at home will not protect you on the street. Teaching children how to recognize danger and how safely avoid victimization can be a useful skill to equip them with. But the first and most important lesson to pass down is that society is only going to be safe if we protect each other's rights as much as our own. Because many say 
to turn the other cheek is the good Christian way to handle abuse. But that is a lie because it is taken out of context. During the other turning the other cheek, especially if time of war, is more like turning the other way. And a failure to help someone to stay safe is only an opportunity for the offenders to continue their abuse and allow danger to spread in society. Whenever you unite forces to stand up to a bully, statistically, 68% of them will give up the violent act and walk away. Now, isn't that worth the risk? And, I, and by protecting each other, we ensure a safer tomorrow for everyone. Can we now do this on an international level and deal with our bullies together?